Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everyone. Michelle and Steve here today to discuss an important topic. There really is an epidemic in this country, and it's an epidemic of misinformation, hysteria, and outright ignorance. Addicts are literally being manufactured by the media, by treatment providers, and probably the worst culprit is our educational system in this country. From school officials who enact and carry out zero tolerance policies, to teachers and school counselors who believe they must take over the job of parenting students, we have a generation of young people who are learning that drugs and certain activities like video gaming and gambling actually have the power to enslave them. Schools have taken these policies with respect to drugs and certain behaviors to absolutely absurd and damaging levels based on massive misinformation. For example, in 2014, research was published in the New England Journal of Medicine claiming that using e-cigarettes is a gateway to drug addiction. They provide no actual data or evidence to back up their claims, but instead they just bolster their theory with more erroneous definition of addiction um, misinformation. So immediately, schools began banning e-cigs based on this one report from 2014. And that became part of this zero tolerance bullshit. The very worst fallout from zero tolerance policies in schools and now in people's homes is that teens are being sent to addiction counseling and drug rehabs in record numbers. These policies are meant to keep our kids safe and to help them, but do they really? Is using nicotine a gateway to drug use and addiction? And I think it's kind of interesting that nobody talks about kids, you know, basically drinking copious amounts of coffee and caffeine, um, which I see everywhere. And I wasn't allowed to drink that when I was a kid. So, and I, you know, had a problem with drugs. So I I didn't need that gateway. Um, So is using nicotine a gateway drug? I mean, is it really? Is being prescribed opiates for surgery or broken bone leading kids to using pills recreationally? Or does it lead to heroin use? I mean, that's the information we're being fed. So, and if these policies are wrong, what should be done? So Steve and I are gonna talk about that today. Let's start with an article from the New England Journal of Medicine from recently, it was September, 2018. Adolescents use of PodMod e-cigarettes, urgent concerns. So Steve, Tell us your take on that article. I know you had fun reading it. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) First of all, you mentioned the zero tolerance policies. And um, in this thing about the pod mods, which basically they were talking about a jewel, right? Yep. And they talked about how the jewel looks like a USB drive. That's, I mean, and it does hook right up to the USB port of, of a computer or any, you know, USB charging thing that you would hook your phone into. That's what a jewel hooks into. Um, so the schools banned, whatever schools they were referring to, banned all USB drives. So there could be no confusion. Uh, <laughs> so that was part of the zero tolerance policy. You couldn't have a USB drive. That's um, so crazy. <laughs> I thought, you know, that 
I read so many hysterical articles about every drug all the time. And um, this one was full of it. And we could pick it all apart. I, I you know, I, <laughs> I don't even know how far I want to go in picking it apart. But there was a section on uh, flavors. You know, flavors oh, are. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, they're. Flavors are mentioned as this uh, dastardly thing meant to reel in kids uh, and that kids are going to start, you know, vaping because it comes in mango flavor or cherry or whatever. And I, I think that that's a little, I think that that's a little bit absurd. The reason we use any drug is to feel different. Right. It's not for the flavor. Alcohol, for example, right? We come up with all these ways to flavor it, but it doesn't in reality taste good. You learn to like the flavor of alcohol. That's true. Coffee too. And yeah, coffee, same thing. Yeah. Cigarettes, the same thing. People yep. end up thinking they like their brand of cigarette. But when you are really dying to smoke, uh, you'll, you'll, I used to smoke clipped cigarettes. I mean, and that is the most disgusting thing where you've smoked <laughs> half a cigarette, put yes, it out. Yes, and then you put and, it out and oh. oh. Relight it later. It's awful, but you want your nicotine, you know, yeah. so you deal with the flavor. Flavor is not attracting people. And the funny part is, um, I mean, flavor is just a side issue, but is the suggestion that, that, that adults don't want things to taste good? Adults don't care about flavor? Right. I mean, I don't know I'm 42 and I still want the food I eat to taste good the drinks I drink to taste good yeah. uh, you know yeah I want the products uh, I use to wash my hair to smell good I mean yeah. this is, this, <laughs> so, so right. it's not gonna hook kids quicker because it tastes good I, I think it's interesting in the article too they say um, that it would be better if you know if kids would just smoke cigarettes like they almost imply that, oh, that yeah. cigarettes are better because they taste crappy and i'm like what are they even talking kids don't get addicted to cigarettes because they taste crappy but they're going to get addicted to this you know this pod mod because it tastes good i uh, it, it's the whole thing is that whole article was so oh, yeah. and, and, and school policy was made based on it's reefer madness all over again and i I think the dichotomy there with the now all of a sudden everybody's saying, oh, you know what, marijuana, not all that bad. I, we're going to legalize it. We're going to now there's still a lot of hysteria from the anti pot people. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that everybody kind of knows that that whole reefer madness thing was was crap, you know, and but now they're doing it with all this well, other stuff. Well, watch out, because um, a guy just came out with. Um, a book, a guy who's a writer from the New York Times, uh, and the book, the title is a line from Reefer Madness, and <clears throat> you know, and he's really trying to push the dangers of marijuana and that it causes psychosis and all oh, of this, God. and so that's make that that storyline is making its way back. I've already seen it all over the place, um, but the the thing you mentioned is funny. Is yeah, so they bring up, they sort of suggest well, we shouldn't have these e-cigarettes because they're not as bad for you. Right? And, <laughs> that's right. I mean, you, yeah, right? Isn't that, yeah, isn't that crazy? Insane. That's insane. Uh, you know, so because, you know, people will cough or, 
there's a stinky smell left after a cigarette on your clothing or whatever, then that'll deter people. Right. It doesn't deter people who want to smoke now. Right. And if it really did deter somebody, then that person would not graduate from e-cigarettes to real cigarettes. They would stick with the e-cigarettes if, right. if that was really important to that person. Right. But again, we use any drug to feel differently. People smoke cigarettes because they think that they help with, um, and I'm taking this right now from Alan Carr, whose book yep. is amazing, Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Yep. But people smoke cigarettes because they think it helps with concentration, that it stimulates or livens you up, that it helps you to relax, yep. right? These are the reasons that people smoke. They think it's a social habit, and in some circles it is, right? These are the reasons we smoke. It's not um, it's not because of the flavor, <clears throat> and it's no. not because of the uh, addictive power of the drug. Now, I'm going to – I'm now – don't want to attribute this to Alan Carr, right? Because he, he does very much believe in the addictive power. And I get what he's saying. And, and he is right about it. I just don't like calling it addictive. Right. Um, right. But cigarettes create a mild withdrawal. Nicotine creates a mild withdrawal. And, um, and it operates a little bit on a subconscious level. You feel a little strange, uh, you know, 45 mm -hmm. minutes after having a cigarette and then you have another cigarette and you go, Oh, I feel a little bit better. Well, that was just this extremely mild withdrawal and, um, and, and you cured it a little bit. Um, but as soon as people let go of the romance with cigarettes, that withdrawal is meaningless. It re it really is meaningless. It's so mild. Um, and, and it is that way with, heroin and with any drug that creates withdrawal there's a little bit of dealing with it but it but it's not the main driver right right and so now trying to restrict e-cigarettes from kids um is that's a policy based on the idea of addictiveness yeah. and viewing drugs as pathogens where if you're exposed to the pathogen, in, in this case nicotine, it contains a quality called addictiveness that hooks you in and makes you keep on doing it. Same thing with don't get, like as you mentioned, don't give the kids uh, you know, opioids after their uh, wisdom tooth surgery. They're pushing right. that big now, right? Oh, we gotta get away from that. Um, that is based similarly in the idea that exposure to the drug is what's most important. And it's not what's most important. I, I was just looking over figures for 2017. Uh, almost 91 million people took prescription opioids. And there were about, there I think a little less than 2 million that had prescription right. opioid addictions, right? So 98, more than 98% of the people who were exposed to prescription opioids in that year did not have an addiction. Right. Right? I mean, yeah. Yep. So it's, so it's, 
these drugs are not a pathogen. And yeah, I nobody wants their kid to smoke. Nobody. Right. It's it's terrible. We do it's bad for your health with very little upside or no upside, right? Yeah. But um but people do it, right? And kids are always going to try drugs. That's a normal part of life. Um yep. it has Andrew been forever. Wild, yeah, Andrew Wilde talks about that how throughout history people have used drugs to change the way they feel. And kids do things from a young age. I used to like the smell of gasoline yeah. uh, when I was a child. Uh, kids make themselves dizzy. Um, they choke each other. I never did that. I but, never did that either. Good God. But it happens <laughs> it a lot. It does. Choke each other out. And, and that we used to hold them... our breath. We would hold our yeah. breath to see how long we could hold it before we pass out. Yeah, there you go. So mm -hmm. it's very normal and human to want to alter your consciousness in many ways. And uh, the easiest way is with a drug. So accepting that people are going to do this, what's the best way to make sure they don't become obsessed with changing the way that they feel with a drug to a point where it's hurting them? Uh, it's not by just fighting to limit exposure and say, once you're exposed, you're screwed, you're addicted, you're done for life. That's not the way to help them. No, heck we, no. No. And I, I think personally, um, and I'm not a parent, you are, so maybe yep. you can speak to this more, but I would say just prepare, uh, young people with realistic expectations about what drugs can and cannot do for them right right uh, when they come into it naive and you're 17 years old you know me smoking pot at 17 for the first time that was the first drug I ever took um, I was just like oh my god this is amazing this is how you're supposed to feel in life this is how I want to feel all the time yeah this I want this feeling for the rest of my life because I was young and naive and inexperienced and I didn't know all that life has to offer and I didn't know that those are just sensations that, yeah, are pleasurable at a certain time and place from a certain mindset, but right. that there's more to that. There's more than that in life. There's or other things in life, other joys, um, other ways to get through stress or whatever you're going through. So I feel like it, in when we build up the drugs as addictive and we, you know, like we do about opioids, like, oh, once you have that. It's such an amazing high. You're going to be chasing it for the rest of your life. Well, we build it up as wonderful. And we need to not do that. And and the way to do that is to just say, well, it's okay. Here's what it is. Here's what it does. You know, do you get what I'm saying? I, I would yeah. prefer that route than this limiting exposure route. Um, it steals focus from the real issue, which is that – People who become, you know, quote unquote, addicted to drugs have this overblown That's right. view of drugs as just so wonderful and essential to, to, to feeling good. Yeah. It, truthfully, I mean, when when I was I was in school in the 80s, in high school in the 80s, and it was just before D.A.R.E. started and then D.A.R.E. came out towards the end of the 80s and during the 90s. 
And and Dare really did. Not only did it build up drugs that they they have all these magical powers to do these things for you, but it also showed people exactly what they look like, how to use them, where yeah. people found them. I mean, it was it was like a it was like a an educational brochure for the, for the awesomeness of drugs and but you should stay away from them because all these so it was it was like the drugs have these awesome powers and then they also destroy you you know so it was yeah. this strange dichotomy now most schools don't have dare anymore dare was a horrible failure um and and so but now we're still doing the same things but we just call it something different we still have this culture that sees drugs as being this all-powerful thing that can enslave you because it's so awesome and also this thing that seeks to destroy you so we personify drugs we're not honest like if i look at the way i was raised and the way my kids were raised my kids don't none of them have a drug problem and um or alcohol problem they you know it just wasn't their thing but it but i when when i raised my kids i didn't i mean i just was realistic i had to undo a lot of what they were learning in school because it was all this garbage um and i and they would actually go to school and be like no you know what you're saying is wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> so they did their best to educate their friends but the way i was raised was that alcohol has the power to enslave people, that I had the gene for alcoholism and addiction, and that if I ever tried these things, I would be hooked for life and it would kill me. I was mm -hmm. raised that way. So by the time I was 18 years old, I was, you know, drinking. Whenever I had a drinking episode, I drank until I was passed out. I went to the hospital a couple times. Um, you know, when I used drugs, I thought they were the best thing that ever happened to me. But, mm -hmm. but for me, I learned that that's exactly how that was going to go. Um, thankfully, I, I didn't, you know, I, I decided after four or five years of that nonsense that I was, had had enough and waiting to die at 22 years old was not my idea of a good life. So, so I, I challenged what I had learned and I, I overcame it. But, but let me, let me go but, to, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, you talked about being raised, you know, learning that you're going to end up an addict, right? Yep. If you, if you, um, that's one anecdote and anecdotes are valuable, right? But, um, I think we actually do have the yeah. data on a wider scale to say that your, your experience really is hurtful. It's not isolated. That's not an isolated case. It does represent a larger trend. It does. So, you know, Stanton, uh, Stanton Peel has been banging this drum for years, as have you know other sociologists, yeah. and they've pointed at communities, uh, religious communities, where moderate drinking is modeled or is part of ceremonies, and that people drink very young, and they they learn that hey, there's a good way to drink, right, and then compare to religious communities where alcohol and all substances are demonized. Um, right. You may get some less usage of those, of, of drugs in, in those communities, but the people who do use are far more likely to end up with problems, to end up with serious drug or alcohol problems than the people who, who grow up in, uh, you know, for example, having wine uh, at Seder. Right. right. Um, 
the the differences in addiction rates uh you know throughout time between the, these various religious groups has been massive um it's true i there's there's a whole bunch of data on that you know throughout the 20th century so um zero tolerance um could be setting people up for failure absolutely and there is data when you look at zero tolerance policies in the school system they you know i i saw a report that was published in 2008 or 9 and that that was after 20 years of these zero tolerance policies and and this was published by the american psychological association and they basically said uh the research came as as back and it's shown that that zero tolerance policies don't make schools safer they don't increase graduation rates they don't decrease the incidences of violence and disruption in schools they don't decrease kids getting suspended or expelled from school there, there's literally been no positive results for these policies and that was published 10 years ago and their their recommendations were you know we get that you can't you know we get that you can't have disruptions in schools but clearly this is not an effective strategy i mean you know when you look at a kid you know my nephew wasn't even caught vaping he wasn't caught vaping okay mm -hmm. he he was he he posted a picture in a social media platform and he's a, he's a star wrestler in his school and he posted this picture in a social media platform that shows him mocking vaping he's mocking kids who vape and he was he had sanctions <laughs> for that he was because of the zero tolerance policies and of course the school officials are all like our hands are tied you know anything tapped having to do with vaping we must punish and wow. I, 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 what i mean to me and here's a kid who's really good student um like i said a, a wrestling nationally ranked wrestler at the high school level um who's looking at his future you know he's looking at being recruited to a d1 school to wrestle and they're saying you have to be suspended from two of your wrestling matches basically because you posted this picture mocking vaping on social media so that's that's where this is gone I, I mean to me i'm like and i don't even like a kid that gets you get kids that get caught we we you got caught you had marijuana or you got drug tested for something and you have marijuana in your system and now we're going to we're going to kick you out of your sports team which is a positive thing for you um, we're going to suspend you from school even though you're a straight A student or even a straight C student you're passing and we're going to do all these sanctions that label you as this bad kid um, and and really do and that's what they saw in the zero tolerance policies is you basically take kids that were probably moving in a very positive direction who you know I don't know about you know most of these teachers and school officials but I'm betting most of them did some stupid shit when they were in high school yeah <laughs> I think most of us were I, I you know if my kids didn't do half the stuff that I did when I was in high school um, and uh, so that to me, I'm like, you, they've taken this to such levels that the, I think now that they're ju not just damaging kids, but they're creating what they're trying to avoid, which is kids thinking that drugs have the power to enslave them, that video games have the power to enslave them, um, or pornography or whatever it is. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about gateway drugs. Okay. <laughs> 
because everything now is a gateway drug. Before it was marijuana. And I want to just read a quick answer that Dr. Carl Hart, I interviewed him a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said the same thing on my radio show. So it, when he was asking this in this interview in 2015 uh, in Skeptic Magazine, um, it, by this this interview, he's, the interview said, many people believe marijuana is a gateway drug. Is it? And, and Dr. Hart said, well, it all depends on what's meant by a gateway drug. What people often mean is that marijuana leads to harder drugs. That's not true. It is true that the vast majority of people who use heroin and cocaine, for example, use marijuana. You said you did. Um, before Uh they use these hard drugs. But then you look at the fact that the vast majority of marijuana smokers don't ever go on to use those drugs. So it's definitely not a gateway drug. It's illogical to make that sort of statement. It would be like saying the last three presidents of the United States used marijuana before they became president. Therefore, marijuana is a gateway drug to the White House. I freaking love that quote. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. No, that's really great. You know, you can always do this by just sort of flipping the numbers, you know, Um, like trauma causes addiction. Right. You know, why do we say that? Because some people with high trauma scores are more likely to have addictions and people with lower trauma scores on that dumb ACEs uh, test. Um, But but then you look and you see, well, the majority, the vast majority of people with tra- high trauma scores don't have yeah. addictions. So, it, like, it, it, like if you look at, you know, um, heroin addiction, it's, it's something like, you know, four-tenths of a percent of people with a low trauma score have a heroin addiction and, like, eight-tenths of people with a high trauma score. You <laughs> so know, twice so it's as like, many. Like so much, but just like ninety nine percent of people don't. In either case, more than ninety nine percent, right? Know. You know, and so that's the same thing here. You know, to say, you know, well, vaping is is a gateway to cigarettes, or marijuana is a gateway to other drugs. Um, I, you know, I think the other the other part of the the gateway um, argument. Is, or uh, what I want to say, adjacent to that yeah. is the idea that, that young people especially are uh, are more susceptible to becoming addicted. The younger you oh, yeah. are, you know, if you try it in your teens, they say, you're more likely to get addicted than people who try it as adults, you know, after 21 years old or whatever. And that strikes me as so silly because most people try some drug or other in their tween in their teens whether yes. that's alcohol cigarettes marijuana or even harder things than that that's when most people start so you know you can look and find that a majority of people who have addictions started in their teens started using in their teens or first tried it in their teens because that's when the majority of everyone tries it <laughs> tries true. something that's right yep. and it's the same thing saying well uh, a majority of our opioid addicts now used a prescription opioid first before they used let's say street heroin or whatever well okay yeah because yep. you know because they're more available sure um, but 
it, it doesn't, you know, and because people have used them for medical reasons, you know, and then maybe years later use them to get high. You know, it's, it's, it's not always a thing where, you know, you take one pain pill and, you know, you just become an addict. Most of the time, people's early pain pill prescriptions sit around unused. That's true. And then they use one at a later date when they back pain flares up again or whatever the issue right. was, you know, uh, there's, there's so many unused pain prescriptions that, uh, they put these boxes in, in police stations and pharmacies and they say, return your unused pain pills here. And they say 70% of the prescriptions go unused. <laughs> Right, but it's so addicting. It hooks everybody, right? So addictive, right? Um, I look. I have an analogy about you know the whole. Well, most people who who you know use heavy drugs now started when they were teens. I would say most people who've ever had an STD probably had sex in their teens, right? So does does that mean that waiting until you're in your twenties is going to prevent you from ever getting an STD? That's a good analogy. <laughs> the only thing that's going to prevent it is like making sure that anyone you ever have sex with is uh, has been tested immediately exactly. before you have sex with them. And, um, you know, that that's the only way to prevent that. Exactly. Um, so, you know, what, what was the other one I was thinking about? You know, most people who, who end up homeless – lived in a home when they were children <laughs> that know? is true it's just just because you know that's it's it's the difference between look at it, it it's you're right the correlation it, it's it's not really telling us causation right yeah that's, that's and in some well. cases it's not even a correlation in some cases it's just it's just the natural progression yeah. of different you know different things i mean it's it's i don't know i i, I think I think we're setting kids up and I think that's the problem and that's what we were trying to get at in this in this uh, podcast is, you know, there's all this about how do you addiction proof your kid, you know, yeah. um, and, and the way to do it is not to teach them that drugs have the power to enslave them. It's not to, to, to tell them that the only way to ensure you don't get addicted is be totally abstinent from everything. I mean, yeah. that's unrealistic and most of the people saying that are drinkers um they're they mm -hmm. probably are prescribed some kind of drugs um and you know these are these school officials officials with these zero tolerance policies who go home and have their chardonnay and take their valium and and do it without issue and so why aren't we and I, you know i could go on and on about the the you know the drinking age being 21 i think is is a tragedy i think that's why we see oh, yeah. why we see you know kids overdosing on alcohol in college which i did by the way um, and you know, because we're not, you know, we're not being taught in our homes how to drink responsibly. We're not being taught that there's a way that alcohol doesn't, you don't have to keep drinking until you're drunk. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it's really, there's a missed opportunity, which yes. is to just be realistic with people about what drugs can and cannot do. Absolutely. Instead, we keep them shrouded in mystery and try to protect people from exposure to these pathogens and uh it's so it's it's just dumb 
It is. It's dumb <laughs> and it's hurting say. people. And that is our podcast for today. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, please tune in. We, we've been a little remiss in keeping these going, you know, with the holidays and we're working on some new products for everyone, um, that we're, we'll be announcing in the next, next month or so. Um, so stay tuned and thank you for, thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. All right. Everybody have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out soberforever.net. Once again, that's soberforever.net.